shaken and disturbed. Hello. Shaken, shaken and disturbed to everyone. I am Darren Carp, uh, and I am here with No Hat McGee, John Thrasher. Ooh. John, wh- where's your, you know, listen, cool bucket hat? Listen, here's the, here's what happened. Um, first of all, I was late to the recording. Darren's putting the bucket hat back on. But I'm gonna make it a blossom hat this week. A little, <laughs> That's like, right. You do. Look I got like my farm tools going on, <laughs> sir. Or. Is it like the sorting hat? Oh, wait, do I have a sort? Oh, I do, but it's not here. Um, Here's the thing. Uh, wow. I was late to the recording and had to hurry up and shower because I was at the gym and do my hair. And then I was like, I'm just going to put my Pikachu hat on because I told everybody last week since we're doing these you video. Have that. Huh? Because you have yeah. that. Right. I do have that somewhere. Yeah. I told everybody on the on that watches on our video on Patreon, right. if you're a sussy radish, that I would have a hat this week. Well, I thought I had my Pikachu hat. Darren reminded me right before we started the show, and then I went and looked for it, and I don't have it at my house. I just recently moved. It's probably in a box somewhere. I will have a hat of some kind next week. It may be a hat that's actually a wig. So be prepared oh, for oh. that, at least. You know, I don't know where some of my hats are, but I know where all of my wigs are, so... You know. What does that say about you? Exactly. Maybe I bust you, out the Dorothy wig again because I still have that, and I might as well get some value out of that $50 wig that I wore for one live stream, Patreon. I, like you're never going to wear that wig again. Okay. <laughs> like, like, you're not, like you don't have it. Like you don't brush it every night five, right. five to 50 times. But did you ever see um, <laughs> Did you ever see that MTV show? I want to say it probably came out when we were in. Middle then school yes. or high school then called yes. Groom Raiders? Of course, love Groom okay. Raiders. Okay, so disgusting. it was like they'd go in, it was like, you know, yeah. you'd go into someone else's room not having met them to like see what you could kind of figure out about them, you know? With so like a like, blue light or whatever, yeah. Exactly, and now I'm, uh, when you're talking to me, I'm being like, I don't know where any of this is, but I know where all my wings are. I'm like, what would John's Room Raiders like say about him? Like that's oh, where my mind went. You don't want to, oh, oh. that's, that's for a, that's a special Patreon um, conversation. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. that's for sussies only? <laughs> something like that. Something like that. Guys, well, by for... the way. yeah. Oh, I was Darren. just going to do Tell it. Him. I was going to say video version of the show can be watched on Patreon. You need to become a sus, a sus meister, also known as a sussy radish sussy today. Radish. And that way you can see John's hopeful eventual Pikachu. <laughs> maybe a Mariah Carey wig will come out. Maybe Dorothy again. Maybe Dorothea. Maybe Did she you does say Mariah Carey? Uh, yeah. Maybe maybe, that. maybe I have maybe, a right. Maybe you, I have. A, maybe what about that Amy Winehouse one? Oh my God! I don't have that anymore. Thank God. That oh. that one went away with all of the memories that came with that horrible experience that night. Thankfully, so you're like I've blacked out. Yeah. I put it in a safety deposit box. I put it down the river. She will never be heard from again. It never is, be it heard is a from dark, again. A dark time for you, which I totally understand. I get it. By the way, really quick um, video check. Do I look really pale to you? I was adjusting the lighting in our last recording. We just recorded NMR, but I didn't. I didn't know if you could tell. But I have hue lights. You look so really you can... handsome. Oh, thank you. I just your feel hair like I look looks pale. good. You thank look. You. you look felt, and well, you look pale oh. in terms of the fact that it's like you're not tan. Tan, yeah. Well, that's the thing. I was adjusting the light. It was a little too bright, and I made it a little more warm, you know, just to make it a little more nice. It's definitely warm. Warm? Okay, warm is good. That's what we're going for, warm. And if you want to see my uh, pale Casper skin, you can, as Darren said, sign up on Patreon, become a sussy radish. 
and check out our skin conditions on the show. I really Darren, want to see how many ways I yeah, can I wear this. Say, Hold on. I'm gonna, should I wear a blossom? Oh, or is it like you actually Pilgrim? look cute. Oh, or is Pilgrim. it like Pilgrim? I don't know. Like, I like I'm it. I'm on like a this. horse. Like, you are a little bit Oregon Trail right now. It's giving Oregon is Trail. It, a, it kind of is. Okay. No, that, it's the, fine. The rest of this, okay. This is I think it's doing. great. I think it's great. Okay. okay. But we have to remember this is audio podcast, so people are listening and they're like, what are they talking about? But it's I fine. just need to get people being like, what is she saying? And then they get to see it being a sussy radish. That's what, I, that's what I'm trying to go. do. Okay. There you Let go. Me get into the All right. Burger. Darren's going to kick off this week's show and let's get right into it. How about that? On October 26, 1979, in Dallas County, Texas, Ruth Clowers made a horrifying discovery and honestly lived every mother's worst nightmare, which I'm sure we can all guess, I am imagining here, is probably losing a kid because they always say that there's literally nothing worse than that. Yeah, so venturing out to say that. Yeah. Ruth's daughter was 50-year-old Janice Louise Ingram, and Janice was a single and very independent woman who lived alone in Bulk Springs. Sounds Bulch, about right. Bulk or Bulk, yep. Despite her busy lifestyle, Texans, let me know. Despite her busy <laughs> lifestyle, Janice would usually call and check in with her mother at least once or twice a week. Do you do this? My mom and I talk pretty often throughout the week. Yeah. I mean, you know, we don't, we have very different lives. So, we, you know, I feel like you and your mom are a lot closer than like maybe my, me and my, my mom and I are. But um, yeah, we, my mom just cooked me dinner last Thursday. It was really cute. I went over and. That's nice. Had some, my favorite dinner is stuffed red peppers. So. She oh. made them, or like stuffed peppers. I don't know why I said red. I, I you know, it's so funny. I what? love stuffed peppers, but I only like the red. Really? Maybe that's yes. maybe we're so connected that I said it out loud for you. I'm Blossom. You're Joey. I feel like that's obvious. And by the way, you've um, never met my mom, but she asks about you every time I go over. And oh, well, see tell her. your mom hello. I will. I just meant like if you didn't talk to your mom in a week, would you feel like oh something's up? Like what would mm. be the amount of time? Because like I have a standing call with my mom on Sundays usually, but we yeah. do text. I would say most days, yeah. even about like little things. If yeah. I didn't hear from my mom in maybe like a week or two, I would be like, what is up? I'd be surprised. Yeah, it's usually like we talk like once a week at at the at least. Yeah, so I think anything more than a week, I'm getting a little bit like what's going on over there. So well, I, it's nice to have these consistent touchstones, I imagine, yeah, especially for, sure. for parents with kids. But Ruth, Ruth looked forward to their talk. So when the call stopped coming, she immediately took notice, of course. And after not hearing from her daughter for more than two weeks... Ruth became overcome with worry, which that would probably worry anyone in my family if they didn't hear from me in two weeks. Right. She she contacted her brother, Roy, and asked if he'd accompany her in going to check on Janice as she was too old and frail to go alone. What oh Ruth and Roy saw that day surely would haunt their memories for years to come. I don't even want to know where this is going, but... Yeah. Inside the quaint home, they found Janice's naked and decomposing body lying in a pool of her dried blood, Ugh. which if it's a pool and it's dried, that means that it had probably been sitting there for quite some time. For sure, yeah. She'd been severely beaten in the head with a large, heavy object, object, which would later be found and identified as a pipe. Now, the home was in shambles, okay? Furniture was broken, the walls were spattered with blood, and noteworthy mm. items such as Janice's purse as well as several expensive electronics were missing. So this seems kind of like a robbery gone yeah, really wrong. Yeah, something's going on here. Well, investigators discovered that not only had Janice been beaten to, that, to death, but she had also been raped in what appeared to be a burglary gone wrong, as Darren just said. 
The medical examiner concluded that the attack took place nearly two and a half weeks before the gruesome discovery. So she had been laying there in this condition for two and a half weeks. I mean, that's just really tragic and horrible. In the house, police uh, found a heavy pipe covered in blood from which they were able to lift a single fingerprint from. And, you know, I just keep thinking about um, some of these new forensic DNA uh, things that are coming out now where, like, you can, even if you don't leave a fingerprint behind, you, they can still pull genetic material from that. I it's, bet. it's how a lot of cold case files are sort of getting um, uh, solved so, nowadays. Yes. I don't know why I couldn't think of the word well, solved. It's, it's, it's funny because... Well, not funny, but I'm just that's just a turn of phrase. But like when yeah. I'm watching true crime things or reenactments mm-hmm. or something, but mostly like a scripted show on something that involves crime, and people are trying to commit some sort of crime, murder, robbery, whatever, and they're not wearing gloves. I'm just like, like what are you doing? What are you doing? That yeah. would be the first well, thing I would think of wearing. Of course. But then like in 1979, which is when a lot when this was going down. You know, people might not have been thinking about the type of DNA advancements that would happen in 2023, totally. you know, so lucky for us, at least. Anyway, the Ingram family was devastated, as you could imagine, and they demanded that justice be served. For seven long months, the family would be tormented with the question of who did this to Janice. Yeah. In May of 1980, the answer to that question would finally be determined, and in turn, three more brutal murders would be solved. Between 1978 and 1980, four people would lose their lives at the hands of the same man. His name was Daniel Lee Barber. Now, Daniel Danny Barber was born on May 5th, 1955 in Torres, California. I, I just went to Greg, May 8th. You oh, I'm sorry. Five fives. What right did there. I say? May 5th. Oh, my God. I literally, my brain is just like... When I, it's just insane. Um, May. F- that, uh, that's mine too, dude. I'm like yeah. all like. Well, you have an excuse. Time, you're fr- so. you're fresh off of a trip to Paris. Like I just had a normal day. You know what I mean? Anyway, yes. Born on May eighth, nineteen fifty five, in Torres, uh, Torrance, California. Very little is known about his upbringing, but one thing is certain: by his early twenties, he was dedicated to a life of crime and violence. At the time of Janice's murder, Danny was only 23, but had already taken three lives. Danny Damn. later told authorities that he struggled with alcoholism and severe depression, which made it difficult for him to be a functioning member of society. And that's true, by the way. Let's not take yeah, away anything course. from people who are alcoholics and have depression. And, you know, alcoholism is a disease. It's something that so many people deal with. And I don't know, sometimes I, you know, we've done so many of these shows where I'm like, if somebody maybe and maybe this is a good example, we'll get to the details as we continue here. But if somebody was able to handle their depression or handle their mental illness or their alcoholism, would it lead them to becoming criminals? It's like the nature versus nurture conversation. And I know we've had a lot of t- conversations about that over the years. You and I just being on several podcasts at this point. Um or is it inevitable that they would do that? You know, it's it's one of those conversations that I think we have to really think about as a society. Well, yeah, I think a lot of that stuff, you know, when talking about gun violence, for example, or just crime in general, I think a lot of it is tied to just mental health awareness and education and just putting right. the right resources into that. And 
sort of catching things at a younger age that might be not that alcoholics murder people, but I, it's of kind of so, all yeah. mental and it's kind of all within right. that realm. And having alcoholism alone or depression alone is pretty difficult. Having them both together right. is probably going to make you, uh, you know, it's probably going to be harder for you than it probably would for, would for like a neurotypical person. But yeah, I think a lot of it has to do less with necessarily like bad people doing bad things. Of course, yeah. there's that in the world, but, and more so really with, what is their mind like? What are the chemical synapses that are kind of going off? What is different about this person uh, chemically that might not be yeah. what the average bear is? And then how that plays out into society, right? Because it's yeah. like, well, based on how your brain functions, what can you do with your life? You know, right. are you able to hold a steady job? In fact, un he was unable to hold down a steady job. Danny made a living as a handyman. So he was doing odd jobs such as yard work and home repairs. And while he made money where he could, it was hardly enough to survive on. And this is another thing that I feel like so many killers do is like they are just they find themselves kind of in a corner in life trying to survive literally. And the only way they sometimes can do that is by killing in in some form or another and it's right. tragic and it's a it's of course their responsibility i'm not making any kind of like apology for anyone who's ever murdered of course but you know i think as a society we could take a look at how they found themselves in those scenarios you know of course but nonetheless um when danny eventually became desperate he started robbing people this is what i was getting at mostly single women, these crimes, of course, soon progressed, becoming increasingly violent. Uh, while Danny had been a suspect in several robberies throughout the Dallas County area, it wasn't until May of the next year that the full extent of his wrongdoings would finally be brought to light. Well, let's see how this plays out. Um, on May 4th, 1980, Danny was arrested after being caught robbing a local flea market in Dallas, Texas. I wonder why a flea market? Is it because they're like usually cash only businesses? Yeah, probably. I was just going to say that. And probably not a lot of like security and I don't know, cameras. It's 1980. I don't know if they had cameras, but yeah. Right. Danny was, it's probably maybe like an easy crime. Well, Danny was charged yeah. with robbery and held in the county jail. Once arrested, police were able to compare his fingerprints to the single print lifted from the murder weapon in Janice's home. And it was a perfect match. So... Not looking good for old Danny boy over there. And two days <laughs> after his arrest for the burglary, while being held in the county jail, Danny was confronted with this evidence against him. He confessed to the slaying, telling people that he had scoped at a home a week prior to the attack as he was doing some yard work for Janice. If we remember, Janice is like fiercely independent, kind of her own yeah. badass woman in her own right. And Danny lived next door to Ruth Clowers for a little Clowers for a little over a year and had done yard work for her as well prior to the murder. So mm. he knew her mom, which is right. like, oh. In Janice's backyard, Danny found a broken piece of pipe, which he'd planned to use to smash a window and enter her home. Mm. And throughout the story, Danny claimed he had no violent intentions and only wanted to rob Janice. So that makes me think, not only was she beaten to death and left for dead for two and a half weeks, she was also raped. So kind of what went yeah. wrong here in his initial intention? Well, on right. the day of the murder, Danny entered the home, believing that Janice was not there. So he grabbed the pipe, which he had hid in the backyard, and prepared to break in. But as he approached the house, he found that one of the doors was unlocked, unlocked, and he decided to enter that way instead. So he has the pipe in his hand. He hasn't used it for what he was intending to use. And I'm just trying to, like, roll through maybe what he was thinking, walk yeah. through this unlocked door. Let's see. 
Yeah, and don't forget he's desperate. He needs money. He can't hold down a job. And I right. feel like, you know. He's got a fuel alcoholism, things like that. Exactly, and got maybe other addictions that we don't even know about potentially. But anyway, he snuck in and began collecting valuables to his surprise, Janice appeared seemingly from nowhere and began yelling for help. Danny was caught off guard and said he and said he attempted to quiet her down, but when she refused to stop, he began clubbing her to death with a pipe. Now listen, if you're robbing somebody, okay, and like they come out of nowhere and they're screaming and yelling, I don't know that the first thing you should do is then begin clubbing them with the pipe that you found. You know, call me crazy, but... Only if they're close friends. <laughs> Only close friends, exactly. Close um, friends and good acquaintances, I would say. Yeah, I mean, I imagine that the rage in him is what, you know, it's like screaming babies when you see people like on TV or doing right. these reenactments of like trying to cl close that. It's like... How yeah. can I stop this immediate threat? And the yeah. way I know I can do that is through this. I'm not confident. There's a lot of like action consequence thinking going thinking, on other than true. just immediate staying in the moment. Well, well, here's where it gets really disturbing. After Janice was dead, Danny proceeded to strip off her clothes and have intercourse with her corpse. So yeah, disturbing. So Obviously, something going on there yeah, that is I'd not say. just heat of rage and wanting to stop the right sounds of Janice. So, yeah. Yeah. Danny then fled the scene with Janice's purse, wall clock, and radio in hand where his crime would go undiscovered for another two and a half weeks. As we mentioned at the top of the show, she right. was found dead in a pool of blood. In addition to confessing to Janice's murder, Danny also admitted to killing three other people in the Dallas area between 1978 and 1980, which we talked about as well. While being held in jail, Danny admitted to being responsible for the murder of Mercedes Mercy Mendez. Mercy's body was found on the side of the road in Mesquite, a heavily wooded area, uh, or Mesquite, whichever way you want to say it. She was badly beaten, also sexually assaulted, and shot three times in the head. Now, this is interesting because most of the time when someone is a serial killer, that is someone who has murdered more than once, of course, um, typically you, they murder in the same fashion, right? Like they sort of right. have a pattern to their to their methods. They've seen they've done something and gotten away with it or they've they have a particular, um, you know, weapon of choice, I guess you could say. So to have shot somebody with a gun and then also killed somebody later with a pipe. I mean, this is a brutal and savage uh, killer here. And to claim he didn't go in doing that. So part of me is like, if the point is to get money and to rob, right. either go into places that you know no one is home, which right. you know can be mitigated by finding that out real quick and then fleeing the scene and or trying to do that. This is something, I think, further, and this is why I think it's kind of showing that he's probably lying about his intention or at least lying to the police just because I, I know he's admitted to doing these things, but originally with um, uh, with Janice, like it's, yeah. it, it feels like something he's either has compulsion to do yeah. or he clearly has a thirst for. Right. It, de it definitely feels like this man is meant to be a killer in a weird yeah. way. I hate to say it that way, but it's true. Danny also confessed to abducting, robbing, raping, and ultimately murdering Mercy before dumping her body. From within his jail cell, the confessions continued. Danny admitted to being responsible for the murders of a third woman, Mary Caperton, in April of 1980, and another unidentified woman in June of 1978. 
Danny would only be charged with the murder of Janice because it was the only case authorities were actually able to collect any solid evidence besides his confession, which is tragic. You know, that's that's the sad reality about whenever people are found murdered and their their killer goes free is there might not be enough evidence or there might not be enough uh, DNA collection or, you know, whatever it may be. But he confessed to all of this and seemed to be able to give details that made the investigators think it was him. Well, I'm kind of um, I'm kind of intrigued because I don't know why he's confessing to all of this. Right. Like I, do, I wonder if he has a conscience. Yeah, and maybe he knows that he's going to get convicted for Janice. Yeah, like and writings so, on the wall or something, maybe. And maybe, you know, who knows, maybe these came from plea deal conversations where he's like, tell us about these other ones and we'll we'll cut you off, cut you some kind right. of deal. We'll see, because we're about to find out all of those types of details. Well, Danny was convicted in 1980 for three counts of capital murder, and before confessing to them, Danny was already facing a 20-year sentence for his string of burglary. So... Not a great crook. Now, due to, <laughs> right. some, due to the gruesome nature of Janice's murder, his sentencing was escalated from a life sentence to a death sentence. So wow. in total, Danny received three consecutive life sentences, the death penalty, plus an additional 20 years for burglary. And he would spend the next 19 years on death row awaiting his fate, during which he did substantial work to try and better himself and earn another chance to live. I give them credit for that. Like, okay, that's that's like the that's the best case that we can see from people who would say are too far gone and have done horrible things. Sure. Like, I mean, what do we expect for them? Like, what is the answer? Like, have them just always be terrible and horrible people, or like, even yeah. if they never get out? Like, I was just gonna say, to I, you, totally you, rehabilitated themselves in terms of mentally. I feel like is great. That doesn't mean they have to get out, but like, rehabilitate your heart to your heart's desire but you're not getting out of jail like i this not for this those person crimes. definitely not these crimes so yeah this type these types of crimes you should stay in there forever i you know darren and i have talked so much on this show about how we are anti death penalty so i'm not going to go as far as to say i think anybody should ever be murdered by the government that's just my personal stance um i i understand the gravity of these crimes and other crimes that are far more treacherous and, and disgusting and disturbing but yeah no i think he should sit with his thoughts and um yeah if he's going to become a better person that's for him and all of his inmate friends to handle but not, listen, not us but, but listen to this because in prison danny learned how to read and write a privilege he had been denied growing up so he kind of had no choice. If you're not going to learn to read and write, like you're right. only going to go into certain types of fields. You right. know, you're only going to like, you don't want to be embarrassed. So it's going to lead you down another path. So he was involved. He was also involved in the prison's work program and even mentored other inmates who were struggling with mental health and behavioral issues. Although he never denied his involvement in Janice's murder, he did claim that his behavior was largely due to his untreated mental illness and alcoholism. Quote, I don't recall striking her, though there's a lot that I've blacked out, he said in an interview many years later. Things were hell, and when I gave the confession, it eased things. I bet. Okay. Yeah, I bet. You know, like, that's the, that's the interesting thing about guilt in so many ways, is that it just like, mm -hmm. or, yeah, I guess guilt is probably the best, that it kind of is insidious, and it can really creep up on you in sort of so many different ways, and it just eats at you, which is why they say the truth always comes out, you know? And right. Certainly for true crime, you want the truth to come out, but... As yep. his execution date approached, Danny was desperate to prove to the court that he was a rehabilitated and changed man, hoping that his good deeds in prison would outweigh his crimes. Yeah. And maybe. really, maybe, and you know, we talked about the alcoholism and the mental illness stuff at the top of the show, but 
you know, is, is that true or is that just his way of, of uh, relieving his own guilt, you know, blaming it on things that he can't control? I mean, killers do things like that, so it's very possible. Well, over his nearly two decades on death row, Danny attempted to appeal his sentencing a total of five times, all of which were rejected. However, it did buy him time to repeatedly get the date pushed back. One attempt from his lawyers successfully pushed off his death within an hour of his scheduled execution Mm. in December of 1998. Questions in regards to the contingency laws in Texas delayed his execution for one final time. Let's talk about that for a second. Like, shouldn't, if we're killing people, if we're doing state sanctioned killing, Shouldn't the laws be crystal clear? Should there be any? Um, Isn't that true with everything though? With like if anything, we're filing, yeah. If we're filing taxes every year as a huge lump sum, shouldn't that be easy to do? Right. Shouldn't Should, that be something that normal citizens don't have to hire another person to necessarily to go do. do for us? Right. Like, shouldn't that be something that any person could legally understand and and get the same advantages of loopholes and things like that? Right. Nothing that the government does is straightforward and easy. It's meant to obfuscate. It's meant to be whatever, wow, so that way it can point. work in their favor. So, like this happening an hour before, I mean, it's crazy to me. It it, it it it's nuts, but also not surprising with this shit. Yeah, and then you think about all of the, you know, um, exonerated people that were on death row that we're seeing a lot more of in the last five to ten years, and it's like little, tiny, little, minuscule decisions can make or break life or death for people who may actually be innocent. It's crazy to me. Or the mood of the judge at the time. Right, the mood of the judge, right, exactly. Well, nonetheless, his date was reset to February of the following year to allow time for the procedures to be re-examined and the judge to make the final call as to whether Danny should live or die. And ultimately, the judge upheld, excuse me, decided to uphold the sentence. On February 11th, 1999, Danny Barber had a last meal of a chef's salad, two flank steaks, a baked Mm. potato, and chocolate ice cream. Before receiving the lethal injection, Danny stood in the execution chamber and addressed the family of the victims. Ruth Crowler was present along with her daughter, Jeannie Termley, to bear witness as their nightmare was finally brought to an end. Quote, you hate to want someone to die, said Jeannie, quote, but we didn't condemn him to death. The jury did, end quote. See, I, I sort of get wanting someone to die, but I still want to do state-sanctioned state death. Like, right. I could sort of understand someone being like, it'd probably be good yeah, right. if, like, Putin died. Like, it would yeah, probably sure. be better. You know, it'd probably be better. You're a terrorist, you know, like, sure, yeah. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just thinking, like, there are bad people. It's like, it's would the world be a net positive if this person wasn't around anymore? Right, sure. sure. But it still isn't, that still isn't. How that still doesn't mean that the government should just kill people based on because then that's up to them to discer- to determine, hopefully beyond a reasonable doubt and hundred percent right. positive you're gonna kill someone, you know, who is good for society and not. So right, right. I uh, I sort of get wanting someone to die. I just don't get uh, yeah. executing them, you know. Well, and I like what she says here, it's like you don't want someone to die, and actually we didn't condemn him, it was the jury. So she's you know, she's gonna she's sort of saying that's someone else's. The way the cookie issue. crumbles, yeah, kind exactly. of yeah. Right. Well, Danny was allowed to share some words with the witnesses before being executed. Quote, I spent the last 20 years waiting to figure out what's going on. I pray that you get over it. And that's the only thing I can think to say, Danny said. Hmm. Quote, I'm regretful for what I'd done, 
but I'm a different person from that time. If you could get to know me over the years, you could have seen it, end quote. He said this to the Ingram family. Uh, quote, I've called my mother already so she knows goodbye, he said, before sitting in the chair and receiving the lethal inject- uh, injection. Danny Barber was pronounced dead at 6.26 p.m. in Huntsville, Texas. So, you know, mm-hmm. the serial killer did some, honestly, some of the most horrific things I've ever heard of. I mean, we haven't shared a lot of details like this on the show in a long time. I guess I'll just say it that way. Um, and yeah, very disturbing and... Yeah, he, you know, lethal injection, it's in the, eight, when was this, the 90s by this point? You know, like that's sort of par for the course down there in Texas, so. I, I always am so interested, just for my own edification, of just like what he was thinking, what the family was thinking, and just saying like, you know, I've spent 20 years trying to figure out what's go, what was going on, and I hope you get over it. It sounds cold, but at the actuality, I feel like that's probably his best way of just being like, in an odd way, like I'm a victim too of whatever I had going yeah, on, exactly. and I just pray for peace for you. Yeah, I mean, it, he listen. He sounds remorseful. I don't know how somebody who does those types of crimes and some of those, like I said, those details that we shared. I don't know how anybody who does that uh, could ever feel remorseful. I mean, how do you, especially if you're just working on it yourself? Like, it'd be one thing if we're hearing about him with a psychiatrist or a therapist or something and he's made progress, but it's like, what do you, what you're just sitting at in the jail cell thinking yourself into this. I mean, I'm looking at him right now. I just, I just like Google imaged him and reading, like looking at his wiki and stuff like that. And it's just, I don't know, something about seeing a person like humanizes it as opposed to just like talking about an audio and I don't know. It's just interesting about especially that, but well, let anyway. us yeah, let us know what you guys thought about this episode. We love reading, and uh, sometimes we'll even share your reactions here on the show. You can hit us up on uh, Twitter or Instagram at jthrasher at carpe darren. You can hit us up in the Facebook group, uh, the Shaken and Disturbed Podcast fans, or you can direct message us, and we will get right back to you on Patreon uh, if you want to sort of message us there. Um, Darren, speaking of Patreon, we have a couple Please. of shout outs, uh, from our Patreon listeners. Why don't you take the first one? Blossom will take it first. Okay. Sure. Amber on Patreon said, love being able to see your facial reactions to things. Also, John, it's time you step up your game. Darren's bringing the looks. You're up next. Thank you, Amber. Listen. I'm throwing my hat on you like Mary Tyler Moore. Oh my God. Oh boy. Gonna make a nope. gif out of that. Well, um, John. Yeah. Pikachu. I know. I hat. will have something. I don't know. It's just like this. These recordings sometimes sneak up on me. And like I said, I was at the gym, and you know, I just don't know where my Pikachu hat is. I know where my wigs are. I'll do something special for next week for sure. I promise you guys, I will do that. Um, and speaking of Patreon, our dear friend Susan on Patreon, Darren loved your look last week, saying, mm. "Quote." Love the bucket hat. You look so cute in any style of hat. Oh, thanks, Susan. Susan. Kind of. Thank you. Was that flirty? I think it's a little flirty. I brought it out again today because John was obviously missing missing the beat. Missing the beat of the hat. You did and he pull find... your weight for both of us, I agree. I just have it there, but I, I feel like other styles are going to come and characters might pop up over the next uh, <laughs> few weeks. So we're going to see. Maybe John and I will do this baloney thing that we've been talking about on NMR this week, which oh you have God. to listen to. Pa- it's on Patreon to talk yeah, about. But NMR, yeah. I could see that being a great continuous shot. I digress. Thank you, Susan. 
And Very you know nice what? of Susan, yeah. You can see the baloney shot or my hat <laughs> or the potential for John to embarrass himself on Patreon as well. Join us for as little as $5 a month and help support the show and keep it running. You can get it even cheaper if you sign up annually. You can be a friend, a best friend, a radish, or a sus buster. Call the sussy radish now. By the way, when you say baloney shot, I'm thinking a shot with like baloney flavored vodka. Ew. Ew. That's like truly gag worthy. Truly, that is sickening. But you need maybe you need to mush up some bologna and put it in a little shot and take. Why do we do this? Okay. Anyway, your patronage helps keep a helps us keep our show up and running across the board. So thank you no matter how much you've contributed. All links for Patreon and our merch, by the way, can be found in our show notes, or you can head over to patreon.com slash shaken and disturbed, all one word, and sign up today. And of course, we have to thank uh, our lovely researcher on this show, Megan. So uno, oh no, un, deux, deux trois, because I just got back from Paris. Okay. Merci, Thanks. Megan. Oh, merci. Wow, I thought for sure well, you'd say merci. I didn't. Did merci, okay. Megan. You're fired. It's fine. I know. God damn it. Damn it. All right. We'll see you guys next time. And thanks again for all of your love. See you then. See you later. Au revoir. Au revoir. Adios. Wait, that's Spanish. Okay. Bye. Yeah.